Hi, and welcome to Second Rate Film School. I'm Andrew. I'm Jake. And I'm Jacob. And we are finishing out Stephen Summers with his, I guess, one of his last real big movies, which is a shame, but Van Helsing. Yes. He did G.I. Joe. Oh, yeah, true. Never mind. Well, yeah, that was, I think, his last big one. Um, Then he did that Odd Thomas movie, which I think got pushed back um, a lot, and then it came out, like, on VOD or whatever. But this was, like, the last, like, in terms of just, in term, with a lot of expectations and everything. With the, I mean, I guess you could say G.I. Joe, because that was a big property, too. But this was, like, a real, real, uh, I don't want to say gamble for Universal, but quite a big deal. This was, like, their big summer movie of that year. They are putting a lot on it. G.I. Joe was more like, uh, it's like a work-for-hire sort of job, whereas um, this seemed like it was more driven by his creative vision. Yeah, it was, actually. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's the thing. It seems like he had a lot of success with Mummy and Mummy Returns that they um, just gave him free reigns to do whatever he wanted. So that's where you see, like, you know, this you know whole opening sequences in black and white, you know, reminiscent of the original Universal monster movies. So you know, it's a, you know something which he said he wanted to with the original Mummy wanted to open up with the original forties uh, or thirties Universal logo, but they refused to do that. But now he's doing a you know first ten or so minutes of the movie black and white, which I can't imagine too many studios wanting to do that now on a big popcorn movie like this. So. It showed that Universal had faith in him, and you could also almost argue like this was probably going to be the could have been the beginning of the dark universe, like in the early two thousands for them. Like this is, I think, what it should have been. You, I mean, yeah, you kill off um, spoilers at the end. You kill off um, Dracula in this one, but you could still have a lot of other monsters that you could meet throughout these um, movies. So it's a very, it's a pretty big shame that it's like this didn't um, get the love it should have and didn't get to go anywhere. Yeah, well, that's what would have been cool to see these classic monsters reinterpreted through, like, the Stephen Sommers Van Helsing prism to see what that would have been like uh, with the next ones. But, you know, we got most of them in this, in this one, except with a few ones. But I still think you could have made a, a couple more movies out of the monsters that didn't make it in. Yeah, I mean, that's the big problem with this, that, you know, you don't really kill the Wolfman. There are other werewolves. You could do other werewolves. You could all do other draculas and all that you know frankenstein it could be open-ended whether he comes back or not in the end of the next one but yeah i mean they could have done more could have uh could have would have should have it's unfortunate but this is a great opening you know with um you know the reinterpretation of dracula and you know um i'm assuming his name is victor and as i missed the captions um and i'm playing yes. like yeah the, the original dr frankenstein you know, they're making him not evil. He's just like a like scientist who's been blinded by ambition. So very similar to the 30s, you know, Frankenstein. You could imagine that Colin Clive. Well, I mean, you kind of do see it like this with um, Bride of Frankenstein. This is kind of the same partnership. But if it doesn't go, didn't go well for Frankenstein at the end of Bride. Yeah. Well, actually, going back to what Jacob said about Stephen Sommers, uh with the idea of it coming from a place of like genuine creativity, that is actually true because uh, before he came up with the idea, he said he wanted to make like a smaller movie and then he was sitting around and he came up with this idea. And, and it's kind of, it's pretty ironic too, because you know, this movie tends to get 
criticized a bit for its ridiculous plot. And it is ridiculous, but that's part of the fun of it. But ironically, it did the plot did come from a place of logic. Because he, he had the central idea and everything, but at first it came from the question of, like, Dracula with the brides of, oh, what what does a man do with, like, three good-looking women for hundreds of years? And then the babies were an answer, and it's like, okay, well, logically, you know, if these people are undead, then the babies are going to be undead, so how do I bring them to life? And that's where the the uh, the answer to bringing in Victor Frankenstein came in, because then, oh, he Dracula would bring him in to, uh, to create life, and that's where that whole idea came from. That's, that's where it all came from. He was like, what would Dracula do with three women over all these years? Yeah, that's kind of like that. That was the start of it, really, in a way. That was that was that was like his his window into the movie for like in terms of the story. And then Van Helsing came came a little later because um, well, he, he knew he wanted to put the three monsters in the same movie because he was watching the the classic Universal movies and he loved them. And then that's and then. You know that idea came about, and then Van Helsing came came after that. Well, props to Steven Sommers. I I think he picked the right answer. Yes, yeah. he did. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. And Van Helsing, you know, as, as anyone who's read the book or seen the movies know that Van Helsing here is a totally, totally different character. Oh, this the windmill here is a is a bigature, by the way. It's not a set. It's it's a giant miniature. But uh, but anyway, the the original book Van Helsing by Bram Stoker. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So clearly it's not the same character, just a name. And, and the name's actually different. This Van Helsing's name is Gabriel, where in the book it's Abraham, who Bram Stoker named after himself. Bram is short for Abraham. And um, for the record, for the record, everybody listening, all three of you, that was a joke I just made. I know well, Bram Stoker did not write a book called Van Helsing. <laughs> oh, okay. Stoker did not write a book about a vampire hunter having to kill hundreds of CGI vampire babies. <laughs> just so no one comments at me. Could you imagine that, like, if the book, if this was book accurate, Van Helsing, so it's like a man in his like sixties, like going around being like very studious. It would be, it would have been great. Honestly, I think that would have been great. That's kind of that was the appeal of, of the original character for me. The fact he's like this unassuming old man, but he's armed with knowledge. Just an old man with like with a crucifix and a yeah. and just his knowledge. I thought that was pretty cool, standing against this evil. Uh, but this is a very you know very quote unquote awesome alternative. It's very much like a Stephen Sommers idea, where it fits in that action movie mold that we saw from like the Mummy and the Mummy Mummy Returns. It's very much him. I mean, I think you know, going back to what you said, you know, he was watching some of the original Universal monster movies. You know, as much as I love some of those beat up movies of, you know, House of Frankenstein, House of Dracula, um, Wolf Frankenstein meets the Wolfman, I will say he does what he does better in this is the monsters actually interact. That's like the big thing with those movies that for some reason Universal did not know how to juggle those mo- monsters and they would like have, you know, Dracula and then none no, of the rest are around him and then Dracula dies and then, oh, you got Larry Talbot, but, you know, Frankenstein's kind of like in a coma for the majority of it and then you know, in the final two minutes, they can, like, fight. So it's actually interesting to see a full two-hour and 11-minute movie where multiple monsters are interacting throughout. Yeah, yeah I mean... They're getting the short change. Yeah, again, I will they... say that doesn't make sense about this plot is, and maybe um, they'll explain it again because um, it's been a little while since I've watched this. I get the whole, you know, like, he needs, like, the power of Dr. Frankenstein to, um, you know, 
bring death or life from death and all that to bring, you know, resurrect the, like, you know, the Dracula babies and um, all that. It's like, I understand that, but it's like, it's very weird to me that the, the literal Frankenstein monster needs to be part of that. That he's like using him almost like a battery in the end, but it, it keeps him in the plot. It's better than going looking for a MacGuffin book of like, like a uh, young Frankenstein. You know, there's no version of like, I'm finding a book called how I did it. <laughs> oh, by the way, this right here is a, a CGI setting. They did not film on location in Paris here. That, that shot that you saw him walking was totally CGI. kind of like how they um imply that um jack the ripper in this world was just dr jekyll and mr hyde i kind of like that well it, well it's interesting too because i, I was i don't know have you seen the uh, the prequel animated movie the london assignment no okay uh, what? they for the promotion of this movie they came out with an animated van helsing prequel and it's about van helsing hunting down mr hyde in london and that's pretty much the lead into this section here. Um, and I, I watched it as a kid, and I, it, it's actually pretty great. Yeah. I like when movies did that. Twenty Eight Days or on the um, I Am Legend did that as well. They had like an, an like an animated um, leading into it, like different stories showing the collapsed society. That was interesting. Now you don't see movies do that too often anymore. No. Well, plus I think with Van Helsing too, like I said, I think they really thought it would be like a franchise. Yeah. I have to assume they probably thought this was going to be the continuation of the, or the next incarnation of the Universal Monsters franchise. Oh, yeah. Like oh, yeah. this would have been, this is what I think um, the 2017 Mummy was going for, of having a central figure, in this case Van Helsing, and the 2017 version Tom Cruise's character, question mark. Um, and, you know, they wanted a figure that would be able to fight all these monsters, keep teaming up with them and all that, and neither work, you know, well from a financial standpoint, but I think this is the much better one, that it is a shame we didn't get to see it. Well, yeah, again, like like Jacob said, that it comes from a place of genuine creativity from, like, a filmmaker with, with a fun idea versus the dark universe was just very cynical and trend chasing and try to be like the MCU. Here's just a director just having fun and trying to make a fun movie. There's like, I, I, there's definitely like blockbuster influence in this. And like, even in like some minor ways, you can see influence and stuff like the matrix and whatnot. It's not as cynical as something like dark universe though, which felt like it was very explicitly trying to be something where this just sort of feels like a, a kind of blockbuster that would come out around this, you know, this era, the 2000s. Yeah. Yeah, Stephen Summers was like the perfect fit for this era. <laughs> <laughs> I also like that it was at this po time, point in time when any time they would do like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde in one of these movies, you know, the other big one being League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, they decide to make uh, Mr. Hyde like a giant and it's like, I haven't read the book, but all their versions that are considered much more accurate, I see, is he's just a really strong guy who is evil. So it's very interesting. They're like, no, we got to make him a giant monster for our fight scenes. Oh, yeah. Well, that's what happens when you try and make Mr. Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde appear in a, uh, you know, in a blockbuster film from the 2000s, you know. 
the original book is like the psychological journey about the darkness in man. And in here, he's a big monster that throws Hugh Jackman across the roof. And burps. <laughs> well, I get and it's it in great. Gentlemen, when they want to have their version of the Hulk. Um, I mean, quite literally, it is the Hulk. Um, yeah, so Stanley should be sued by um, Alexander Lewis Stevenson. That, that's who wrote Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, right? Or whoever. Robert Lewis Stevenson. Sorry, Robert Lewis Stevenson. Yeah. I'm um, sorry, wait. Who? Alexander Lewis Stevenson? <laughs> I don't know where I'm at that, Dave. I had part of it, right? Um, My question is, what had better CGI? This movie with Mr. Hyde or Ang Lee's Hulk with Shrek? Um, this movie, I think. I, I think the Ang Lee's Hulk still holds up. I actually I think, have to agree with Jake here. I think the Ang Lee Hulk looks a little bit better. I mean, I think it looks better, but I never believed the Hulk was there. This, I somewhat believe this thing is standing here, but I don't know. Maybe, Maybe I have to same time. Maybe you got to rewatch Ang Lee's Hulk. There's always time for that. Yeah. There's never enough time for that. That's, oh, a, like, that's a fun movie, Andrew. You'll have a great time. Yeah. It's I a like blast. Did, um, him turning back to Dr. Jekyll right before he smashes into the ground. It's so mean-spirited, but great. It's, that's actually, that's how, ironically, the death of the Incredible Hulk with Bill Bixby ended. Oh, yeah. It's just like that, except there's no cheesy love song playing in the background. Yeah, we'll do, we have to do that movie at some point. We, I know you, you, need to, you need to add that, that song in there. Well, I guess we we should probably watch the death of the Incredible Hulk before trying to make inside jokes about it. But um, um, by the way, that entire fight in Notre Dame—that is the second worst thing that's happened in the last hundred years to Notre Dame. Yeah, I'll go on. Remember that big fire? That does that happened? mean wait? Last hundred years. So does that mean this movie takes place in 1920? Okay, 150 years. Oh, I got so excited. Uh, I was ready to see Van Helsing have to like deal with the real monsters, the prohibitionists. But remember when that fire broke out and that was the worst thing 2019 had to offer? And now we're in the hellish landscape where I prefer to see old churches be burned down and stuff, what's going on? That'd be great. Andrew, if you didn't want to watch Van Helsing, we could have picked a different movie. <laughs> I thought this was your idea. Yes. I always, by the way, anytime I had to go to confession after this, I was hoping that I would get invited into like a secret chamber beneath the church where I could fight monsters. But then when I did get invited to a secret chamber with the priest, it didn't turn. It turned out much differently than this. Oh. Did they give you like a lollipop and yeah, send you on your way? Yeah, exactly. No, they gave him a copy of this movie on DVD. Yeah. They gave him a copy of Dianetics. It's very. <laughs> Okay, so in this scene, if you look closely in the background coming up, it's actually a mirror, which makes the uh, which is an old movie trick that makes the set look bigger. So if you see that red guy way in the back there in the right corner, that's just the actor reflected. The car. Right. Yeah, simple trick, but it works. Yeah, so they did a lot of that in this movie. They they had these huge sets, obviously, but they expanded them through tricks like this or a lot of blue screen. But a lot of these are great sets in the movie. It's interesting they would do that and not just do like a green screen or something. Yeah. I think it goes back to like Stephen Summers' love for the original movies that that, would, that was something they would have done back in the day and you know, he kind of wants to pay homage to it. 
it's it's all over this movie. Even going back to the beginning, you'll see in this movie and across Stephen Summers' work, he likes shadowed shots where you see like the characters in shadow. It's very dramatic, and he says that he's he's inspired by uh, the director Michael uh, Kurtz, Kurtz, who directed Casablanca and Errol Flynn. A lot of those old romantic movies that he loves, and you can see that influence across many of his movies. He just he loves that sort of thing. I love also in this world the Catholic Church is the most progressive scientific force in the planet. That's yeah. and they're yes. taking like style photos. Oh yeah, it's all these religions working together to fight evil under the Vatican. <laughs> <laughs> this is a movie for today, guys. Oh, Van Helsing is the movie we need right now. Yeah. Oh, and then this guy, the Cardinal, he's actually the uh, creepy museum curator in The Mummy Returns. And it, I, you told me that last time. I, I'm, like, still struggling. It seems so weird to me that it's him. Like, he does not want it. But it, I guess, great, you know, casting. Um, I, was yeah. reading, I was, like, reading the, uh, the subtitles. And so I was, like, not totally, you know, zoned into the conversation. And for a sec, I thought you were saying Night at the Museum. <laughs> It's the band Which which one? The Smithsonian one? Yeah, the second one. That's uh, that's it. Yeah. Wow. Well, they're practically the same movie, then, aren't they? Yeah. Um. Robin Williams show up. Yeah, Robin Williams is the Wolf Man in this movie. Don't <laughs> even makeup on him. Just take your shirt off, Robin. Yep. Oh, I mean to be a wolfman. I can howl. I just, I also love we've just met Arnold, the cue of this movie, but it's great that he actually gets to accompany him. You you never really see the gadget guy ever come along on the uh, mission in any type of movie like this where the agent has gadgets. So it's very good. The only other movie I can think of is Wild Wild West, and it may be best not to think about that movie. Yeah, this movie isn't intolerable like Wild Wild West. And actually, Carl, the character, he's named after Carl Lamal, the producer of like those old, yeah. the old Universal monster movies. Right. And David Wenham, the actor cast, he's actually like an inch shorter than Hugh Jackman, but somehow they made him look a lot shorter than him. You can see he's kind of hunching a little bit. Yeah. He does a great job. You don't really, you're not, you don't really notice if you're not if you're not paying attention to it. They just put Hugh Jackman on like lifts, so he's actually like six foot seven throughout this scene. <laughs> he just keeps shifting back and forth. It's great in those old movies when you can see they use lifts and other things to make the actors seem taller, and like you then see like the things like in I Love Lucy, they did that a lot. You can just see Desi Arnaz sitting on pillows in a lot of the scenes when they're on the couch. It's great. I want them to bring that back. I mean, I think about that even in modern movies when I watch. You, you can tell when they make the actors look taller. Robert Downey Jr. I, you know what? I always think of Infinity War, the scene where he's talking with Chris Pratt, who in real life is like linebacker-sized, and they're like the same height, and I'm just imagining like the Apple boxes. Oh, yeah. Well, you know that infamous photo on the set of Iron Man 2 with Robert Downey Jr. walking around? He has these giant lifts. It's just comical how big they are. How how tall is he in real life? I don't know for sure, but I think a little maybe below average height for a man. Okay. I mean, in fairness, you know, I'd have to wear lifts probably 
standing next to uh, Chris Pratt also, but it's still very funny because I just I they're doing like the dramatic scene and I just imagine you zoom back like a few feet. Oh yeah, that should be. I mean, that's every Tom Cruise production. I'd... Well, Robert Downey Jr. is actually only five, is five nine, and um, he's oh really? Mark Ruffalo by an inch. Chris um, Evans is six foot. Hemsworth is six three. And then, yeah, uh, Pratt is 6'2". So he's actually the same height as Jeremy Renner. So I wonder if they put Renner in um, lifts as well. Probably. All right, so this scene was originally going to take place after the black and white prologue. But they thought it uh, wasn't getting to the story soon enough in introducing the main character. So they pushed it back to here. Plus, it's just it's good setup for, for Anna and his brother and her whole motivation through much of the movie. If you don't have the scene, the Anna character is kind of, kind of lifeless. Her motivation doesn't mean much if you don't see this. Yeah. This is a good call on their part because yeah. this is uh, this is like would make a good cold open, but you're just delaying the plot if you put that in after uh, the actual cold open. Yep. Yeah, the werewolf looks great. I mean, I don't know. What do you guys think of? I know the the CGI, but the design itself, I've I've always been a fan of like these werewolf designs, the three of them in this movie. Yeah, I think um, you know I'm obviously the, the you know even though it's it you know is very quaint by today's standards and he doesn't really look like a wolf, you know Lon Chaney Jr. Wolfman will always be my favorite, but like this then type of design is my like second favorite. Like it's very clearly a wolf man creature. Yeah. Works very well. It's got elements of both the wolf man and or wolf and man and all that so it works very well cgi it's not the worst but um it's pretty decent well it's it's quality cgi it's just it's again it's it's in the context perfectly but it still looks good like i've seen much worse cgi stuff from recent movies oh yeah i mean this is ilm doing the cgi so it's i'd say it's acceptable for the time the cgi but i i do like yeah, I think the design is is good. It's like a, you know, you want to make fun of it because it's like a big dumb blockbuster, but it's trying to be a big dumb blockbuster, yeah. trying to be a good big dumb blockbuster. And I think for the purposes of what it's trying to do, it works really, it works well. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I think werewolf designs peaked in the 1990 film Wolf with Jack Nicholson when it's just Jack Nicholson with like light hair makeup put on him uh waddling around like a soundstage but not everything was going to live up to that this is a good second i think the designs and actually um take of you or jake you showed it to us last year of uh, dog soldiers i thought that those designs were pretty good those look at the end of the werewolf of the wolf conversation yeah there's actually only a handful of quality werewolf movies in in general actually yeah. dog soldiers that was a that was a good one. Not just the movie, but the designs of the werewolves. I liked, um, they looked big and muscular like this one, but it was practically done. Obviously, I don't expect them to be able to pull that off considering all the stuff the werewolf needs to do in this movie. But yeah. I, did a, I appreciated it all the same in Dog Soldiers. Yeah, looks great. Especially for that being a much lower budget than this. Yeah, it fits, it fits that movie too. What do we think of the werewolf design in Harry Potter three? I I really like it actually. It looks good, but he always like I think it, that was still at a time where they were 
really sure how to do fur, so it always looked like he had scabies or something, or rabies, and was just, most of his fur was gone to me. He looked like the were-rabbit from Wallace and Gromit. It's <laughs> <laughs> like a skinny version, like the way it was posed and everything. They went full-on, like, claymation for that, just, like, out of nowhere. You know what? Wallace and Gromit, The Curse of the Were-Rabbit, is actually a, a pretty great werewolf comedy. It is. It is. Great script. Yes. Yes. Very funny movie. Maybe we'll do that at some point. I'd be down. I, uh... Yeah, that's a terrific movie. Yeah. Yeah. So this... Well, like I said, this is all a set, obviously. Most of this movie was shot in Prague. Um, but I know this set, they want they they wanted to save it because they wanted to do a Transylvania TV show spinoff from the movie. Um, but when the movie didn't do as well, when it underperformed opening weekend and everything, they, they scrapped plans for that. But it was a good, it was going to involve, Oh, and that's the, uh, that grave diggers, one of the dudes from the mummy returns. Um, but going, going back, the, the, the Transylvania show is about like a, an American sheriff or a cowboy who becomes a sheriff of tra- this town in Transylvania. And each week he's got to fight monsters and everything. And it's it sound like very much like a network TV version idea of this. Um, but I would have I would have watched the hell out of it. Oh, you mocked me for liking Sleepy Hollow, but you would have watched that show. Okay. Well, I was a kid. I <laughs> have that excuse, Was. I like to think these are all people from Prague. Like this is how like they greeted the Hollywood film crew coming in. <laughs> <laughs> See when someone's like quick record it, record it. Well, they actually said, like, because these are actually all people from Prague. They said during the windmill scene, when they're throwing the torches, they said they're actually they're very good at throwing torches. It's like they had done that before. <laughs> actually, so I actually really like how the effects are done with with the brides here. They're not just on wires. It's partly CGI and partly using the actors. So they just use they use the actors' faces, but and then they wrap their bodies in green screen. And uh, and just shot it like and shot it like that and everything, and with these flying scenes, there's Summers talked about. It's a pretty complicated process where they're, they're putting the camera on a rig, or they're putting camera on on wires, and they're putting uh, the actors and everyone on wires too. So it's very complicated. But the, sometimes the camera's going like fifty miles an hour. I was gonna say it looked like they were CGI'd in with the faces, kind of based yep. on. Yep, that, that, that was a trick, because Somers didn't want to use people on wires. He thought that had been like done so many times, it didn't look very good, so they wanted to do something else with it. I mean, the whole, it looks well, good. I mean, yeah, that's, you know, the combination of the two, it, you know, keeps you guessing, and, you know, keeps you guessing, like, wait, is that, you know, are they on wires, are they CG? So, like, it gives it kind of an otherworldly quality, and it works. I mean, I think, I think it's pretty clearly CGI and everything, but on the same token, like, the dynamic kind of camera stuff that they're doing with the swinging in and out, you kind of wouldn't be able to do if it was uh, people on wires. Well, I just also like when the static shots sometimes, or at least in the small window that I'm looking at that's going at like 10 frames a second, it is sometimes confusing me. Well, I, well one of the reasons why they, they did the brides like this, because they actually brought up the Scorpion King and the Mummy Returns. They said they learned their lesson. They didn't, they didn't want to use a full CGI character, um, so they wanted to integrate the real actors in there in some way. So that was that was some of the reasoning behind that choice. 
Um, that would have been wonderful if they did like the Scorpion King and the Mummy Returns. That is a creative decision I will have to disagree with. That was great. <laughs> oh wait, looking in this like town that's supposed to be winter, but it doesn't feel like they're actually shooting in winter. I feel like they're in the um, Hogsmeade section of like Universal Studios. Like I feel like you know, there's going to be a gift shop selling Harry Potter merchandise around the corner. It looks. Uh, this is all in Prague, though. I mean, this is no. I mean, I'm, like I'm just like saying, it doesn't feel like it's winter. Like with the snow on the roof, it just it's some for some reason feels like, like I it, it looks like it's painted on. So like I'm just like saying, it, you know, it, I mean, it's all real, but it doesn't feel like real, real. I should say, like it feels like a set. I should say, not like a real like village they found. Found. Why well, do you need to get the hell out of this? Sorry. I want no disparaging remarks about my Van Helsing movie. All right, looks like he left, everybody. (laughs) Shut the fuck up! If you're listening to this commentary, please help me. (laughs) I've seen this movie once because Jake made me, and then I saw part of it while I was making dinner one day. Oh yeah, because I was watching it. <laughs> Jake was watching it in the living room. I actually watched it a couple times over nights. This is early in quarantine when you know we didn't know what what end in, any end in sight was going to be. We thought it was going to be two weeks. Yeah, that was a big day though because it wasn't Indiana Jones. That's true. I I graduated from Indiana Jones to Van Helsing. That's all you, you, need. you thought it was going to be a couple weeks, so it's like, ah, do Indiana Jones. The next thing you know, it's it's August. And, and it's, it's still great. Outside. Are you kidding me? I'd watch this over going outside any day. That's <laughs> a... Mingle with people? Nah. So, I also looking at this weapon he has, like all of his various different weapons. I feel like if this was a more successful movie, I could see like Nerf putting out a line of like Nerf guns that look kind of similar to this. That would have been so cool. Maybe they did. I I actually don't know. I I feel like I didn't see too much Van Helsing merchandise. I could be wrong though. I don't recall much either. I I I think I would remember that. If that was the case. So I thought there was no mummy merchandise, but as Jacob showed us, there is um, merchandise in the mummy movies. So maybe we just missed it. I think we were also, by this point, getting a little old past the uh, point of toys as well, though. I would have been 12, so I'd... Maybe. What year is 2004? Yeah. yeah. I assume this came out before August, right? Yeah, came out in May. I would have been, I would have been ten. You know what the problem was? This is the reason why that because I, I read online that apparently this movie, like in its first week on DVD, made like more than half of its box office revenue in DVD sales. Yep. You know what the problem was? I don't know what the movie is about based on that title. <laughs> I'm approaching this from average Joe perspective. Like, obviously, I know who Van Helsing is. When I was 10 years old, 
Um, I was I had not read Dracula, and I did not realize that this was a movie about like Dracula and Frankenstein and the Wolfman and all that stuff until I saw like a special on it by Happen Chance. Happenstance. Andrew, can you edit that to make it sound like <laughs> I know what the hell I'm talking about? That I know how to speak English. That's right. Um, happenstance. But yeah. Maybe it nope. just needed a dumber title. Yeah. Yeah, I can't think of <laughs> now quick segue. That was quick that was why I didn't that's why I didn't I didn't know what this was even about as a kid until like I saw this special on it. Obviously, you know, it's much more obvious now that I'm over the age of ten, but Yeah, I don't really remember ads for this too much. I just remember like renting this like one weekend, like with my dad, at, like because I'd seen the Summer's Mummy movies and liked them. I'm like, oh, this, yeah, I didn't know it was done by the same director, but I'm like, oh, this looks similar in vain. I want to do that or watch that. I mean, oh, okay. It, for me, it was a different story. I was obsessed with this movie before it came out. I was I was told about it like a year before, and I just went on the website and I just got so excited. And then I saw the trailer. And there was a Super Bowl spot, which was pretty awesome. Like, I was so excited. I told all my all, all my classmates in fifth grade about it. And they're like, ah, Jake, what the fuck are you talking about? I don't know what this is. And then when that Super Bowl commercial came out, they are like, oh, this looks so awesome. It's because none of them knew who Van Helsing was in fifth grade. You're right. <laughs> I had to show them. I had to show them the website. I, I distinctly remember getting, like, a group of my classmates having them get gather around the computer and logging onto the Van Helsing website just to show them what the hell I was talking about. <laughs> just to show them I wasn't insane. So then when they saw the Super Bowl commercial, like, oh, okay. Nine months of him talking about this shit. I finally understand what it means. <laughs> uh, young, tw- young 11-year-old to 12-year-old Jake just tormenting his friends like, oh, we're going to go see Van Helsing when it comes out, guys. That's actually true because we saw it for my birthday. My birthday party was was uh, was made around seeing Van Helsing. Your parents were never more disappointed in you than that day. Eh, I can think of other times. No, I'm joking. <laughs> By the way, no, we but... but since the one bride died, but we should all talk which of the three brides was the hottest, guys. Definitely the one who dies last. Yeah, probably. I also like how they're about to say, like, he's the first vampire to kill, or first person to kill a vampire in X years. It's like, you know, something like 100 plus years. And it's like, man, you guys really suck at killing vampires, I guess. They're hard to kill. Yeah, he well, look at them. You think they can do anything? I, uh, they just got pitchforks. And shovels. Just dip everything in garlic and holy water. You're good. Yeah, but that doesn't work on uh, on Dracula. In this movie. Yeah. Yeah, they all have beautiful teeth, considering they're in the rural Transylvania in the mid-1800s. Yeah, most of these people wouldn't be here. They'd either be inside because they're dying of something. Yeah. <laughs> or they... <laughs> Van Helsing's like, thank you, but I need to go over to the left there so I can poop in the open street. 
not even dying from vampire attacks. They're just like dying from like Lyme disease and dysentery. So this is cool. They're actually so this is the actor on wires here, and they're actually hanging upside down in this scene. But I guess when you actually think about that, that'd be very difficult to do because you got to get them up there. Takes a long time, and by the time you get the scene, you probably can only do a couple takes. Otherwise, they pass out. Takes an impressive physicality to be able to pull it off gracefully. See, yeah. I thought it was just one of those things where they built like a rotating, like small portion of their set to be rotating, like how they used to do, like for um, that one Bing Crosby movie where he's like dancing on the ceiling, and yeah, it's just a rotating room. But now watching it again, I'm like, oh, this is—they couldn't do that. This set is fucking huge. Yeah. Yeah, that's them actually hanging upside down. Yeah, I mean, it, it's a great effect of him, like, walking up the wall. It still, like, works. It didn't seem too, like, fake. And all that. Yeah, they're upside down. It looked great. Mm-hmm. I just want to point out the cinematography, too. If you notice in this movie, there's a lot of mixture of warm colors and uh, cool colors in, in the same scene, which is kind of interesting. To what intent? Do you know? No, I, I don't know for sure. I think that was director and DP choice. Sometimes it's it's usually one or the other, though, in a lot of a lot of these big movies. You see a lot of predominantly cool-colored movies and then very warm-colored. But here, it's it's like a nice mixture. Every, everything kind of off in the background is more cool colored, and then getting closer, it's it's warmer colors on the actors' faces. I know Steven Sommers just talked a lot about atmosphere and everything when he was watching all those old Universal horror movies. He knew he just wanted to have a lot of atmosphere and just try to replicate that feel and the tone of it all. Especially when you got to like the later ones when they're in the middle of War Two and they had to like really ration the supplies to build shit and they still look good. Oh, and this is what's his name? Kevin J. Anderson. Kevin James O'Connor. Kev- oh Jesus, uh, Kevin James O'Connor who plays Benny in the Mummy, and he was also in the other Stephen Sommers movie Deep Impacts. So, so that was so that role was the only one that Stephen Sommers had in mind when he was writing the script. He said he doesn't usually like to write with actors in mind, but with him, he's like a friend. So he just called him up and said, you're Igor. Where's Arno Boslow in this? Uh, he was even an odd Thomas. Oh, was he? Yeah. I want to see Brendan Fraser in here as one of the three wives. I don't think he's been born yet. His character. Oh, I thought you meant Brendan Fraser in real life. Oh, like, cast in this as one of the three wives. Just like have him in a wig and drag it would be great. Just like don't address it. I think he would have done very well. He would have done his best. But no, he had to do Looney Tunes back in action this year. Well, that reminds me too, because I always like the idea of the mummy and Van Helsing kind of sharing the same universe. Even though this would take place about what 30 years before The Mummy. They could have made Van Helsing, um, they they could have done um, a, oh, you know, even though you've been cured of werewolfism, you're now immortal, or like something like that, and brought him into modern day. Well, it's, it's sort of alluded to in this movie where 
Well, that's the other thing I want to talk about, too, just kind of the odd archangel uh, idea of this movie that, that Van Helsing is, has existed for many years. It's a little vague. Yeah, like they mentioned, like in the pre the um, scene with the priest, that, like he doesn't remember his where he came from. He has amnesia, you know, has amnesia or whatever. But they were yeah, clearly I, trying to school, but that'll never happen. And it could have just been a thing where he's just a monster hunter. Yeah, that would have been fine. It's kind of how I took it. Yeah, yeah, the whole like oh oh you're. You, 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 he killed Dracula hundreds of years ago. That and I never quite got that in a way. I mean, I, I get what the like, you know, with the lore and everything. There's and with Dracula, like, religions involved somewhat. So maybe it came from that. So I, I know there's probably a, a reason. Oh, by the way, that that scene is like a reshoot when he when he knocks her out with the uh, the knockout gas. Originally, he he just he hit her and knocked her out, but then they realized it made him look too unlikable, so they reshot it. Oh, so him roofing her is much better. <laughs> he just knocked her out. Whatever. <laughs> the effect is still the same. But hey, it's like in Ghostbusters where, you know, Bill Murray brought, like, a bunch of drugs to, like, knock a grown woman out on a date. We never address it. It would have been fine. Sorry, what? What scene was that in the film Ghostbusters? This is Ghostbusters 2. When he shows up to Dana's apartment after she's been possessed by um, go, um, by um, the ghosts, um, you know, she and she starts floating in bed. And he's on the phone with like Egon and um, Ray. He's like, "Oh yeah, I put, got uh, like a hundred cc's of Thorazine or something like that pumped into her, so she's gonna go night night now." And the joke is always, "Why the hell did he have a hundred cc's of like a drug to not?" Oh, okay, he's a doctor. Right, so in this scene, you can see Kate Beckinsale's hair change from like from a couple of different shots. I watched the commentary, so this is what they were talking about. I actually never noticed this until they brought it up. But yeah, it's one of those things you have to watch the movie tons of times and then have someone tell you about. Yeah, exactly. Shows you continuity is a fucking harsh mistress. It can be, but at the same time, if you do it. If you edit it correctly, or more importantly, if, if the story's engaging enough, you don't notice these things. Oh, yeah. I mean, that, that's what I mean. It's like simple things like where her hair is placed on her shoulders is like just something you got to fucking constantly be paying attention to. Otherwise, it creates a problem like this. Obviously, in this case, not a distracting problem, but um, yeah. a big issue nonetheless. Well, it's not just like where her hair is, like her hairstyle is different from shot to shot in this sequence. Sometimes it's more it's more curly. Other times it's it's straighter. I think that they said because Kate Beckinsale didn't like her hair or something, so they had to change it. Uh, yeah, no, noticing. Yep, so it's straighter here. This is very fascinating. Anyway, so back to the werewolf. Jacob, say something about the werewolf. I've said my piece about the werewolf. I started a werewolf conversation and no one followed up. Hey, I said dog soldiers looked good and then no one wanted to pay attention to that. I talked about dog soldiers. I was talking about how I thought it was a great practical werewolf design. Oh, yeah. Meanwhile, I bring up one classic Jack Nicholson film. 
We can't even be bothered. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't want to comment on it. I'm not an expert. Well, Jacob, please reference Wolf for as many times as you'd like through this commentary. Well, Wolf is very interesting in concept. Um, and then the actual movie is... Because, you know, it's like supposed to be uh, like almost like a satire about like corporate the, the workplace corporate workplace and how everyone is just at each other's throats like wolves and then the movie is just jack nicholson waddling around in light werewolf makeup pretending to turn into a monster i do like in this movie how the like when you turn into the werewolf it's I, it's been in other man movies as well where you're literally ripping your skin off I, I always like when movies do that instead of you just sprout fur that it's a literal transformation and like it really amps up the body horror. Yeah, yeah well, Stephen Summers said there was a reason he, he chose that because he wanted to kind of make it like almost like an alcoholic who just who's so uncomfortable in his own skin. He just wants to tear it off. It's, it's more like that. It comes out at night and his worst self comes out. So that's kind of where that came from. It's like the monster within kind of thing you're saying. Yeah. That's actually exactly what it is. It's always funny, like hearing these thoughts, because it's like, like kind of these like deep philosophical thoughts that the filmmakers will have about these scenes. And then in the movie, you watch it, and he's like, "Oh, the guy turns into a monster, and they chase after him." But you know, it's it's good that they think about it anyway. Oh yeah. Trick is not to think about it. The audience, you know, you kind of t- you're kind of supposed to take it for granted away because you're just. Supposed to just watch the movie. Now in Wolf with Jack Nicholson, he actually turns into a werewolf slowly over the course of the movie. Oh, that that's what happened? Yeah, he's like slowly turning into a werewolf. I mean, uh, at night, I think it's like he, parts are accelerated, but like at the end, he just turns into a normal wolf. Okay, I forgot. I watched it with you once and the... Uh... This is now a commentary on Wolf with Jack. <laughs> we are Halloween commentary in 2045. Oh, my God. That's going to be a very short commentary. I just love that guy just, like, standing in the coffin. Like, thinking about, like, him just, like, waiting there in the freezing cold for hours. Like, oh, this would be so good when he shows up finally. <laughs> He's just there, like, every night waiting for someone to show up. He's just such a lonely man. I can imagine if this movie was made in the 30s and early 40s, this character being played by Dwight Fry. Yeah, probably. (laughs) Not for, like, an actual artistic reason, just because, well, it's a universal movie and we have, like, five actors. It's got to put Dwight Fry in there somewhere. Yeah, actually, that's that's a good point. I can see that. Yeah, no, I I just love the look of all this and everything. It looks with the snow and and the and the the mist. And that was that's actually the director's least favorite shot in the movie, by the way. That one of the werewolf jumping down. No, and going back to you talking about the snow, it's very interesting because. You know, usually with movies like this and like the Frankenstein and monster movies, you generally watch them or at least have the mindset of desiring to watch them in um, a, you know Halloween time. So 
I know for us in LA, that means just 60 degree weather and just slightly cooler than it is in the summer. No, no difference, but to lots of other parts of the country, that's when you get fall colors, you know, the leaves are changing and all that. So, you know, whenever I watch a Halloween movie or a monster movie, I always think of like autumn, like in the Northeast, but it's very interesting to be like, nope, fuck it, Christmas time, technically, or winter time. Well, yeah, good. Well, yeah, that it makes it. Yeah, right. I yeah, you don't see snow often as much in these uh, in these movies. I mean, there was just rain and when they're in the Valerius Castle there, and now it's snowing, and that's kind of the cool thing about it. But it's a good atmosphere. Yeah, it, it each fits the scene. So you know, when it's ominous, and you don't know what's happening. It's raining, and now it's a quieter moment, more sentimental moment. As she's talking about her brother, you know, have the snow being bitter cold, you know, summarizing the isolation and coldness. Yeah. And next, in the next scene, it's going to be summertime. <laughs> well, actually, the the Castle Frankenstein scene coming. This is actually like a location, and then it was augmented with CGI kind of back there. Um, so that's a real that that's a real castle. I don't think all of it was, but the kind of the bottom part, the bottom part I know was is real. And then, and then this coming up here when. Yeah, obviously, this is all a set. This would have made a great riding reversal. Yeah, I, uh, this is probably all gone now, but this it's would a have shame. Been great. You, know, you think about, like, um, I, I doubt this, this, this probably isn't the original equipment, but it's like, you know, the equipment, original equipment from the first Frankenstein after um, it was done, the uh, prop master just took it home, put it in his garage, and it's like, you know, years later it got reused in Young Frankenstein, so it would be great if it got resurrected for this again. Well, well, speaking of just keeping the sets, they they expected that this movie to be such a hit where they I think they were beginning plans to build a, a part of the Universal theme park, like a Van Helsing part, Um that was getting ready, and then, you know, the movie came out and underperformed. They, they canned it. Well, and that's like, uh, I mean, like, you don't even need to make it Van Helsing theme. Just, like, Universal Monsters. Yeah. Make your theme park based around that, and it's evergreen. Yeah, well, I mean, the thing is, they want to have, like, you know, it based around something new that's going on to help sell the old, because how many, you know, little kids are sitting around watching the original classic, um, Monster. Yeah. They, should, they should, but like, well, they aren't familiar with like the movies, but they're definitely familiar with like those characters. Like, true characters true. are ingrained in pop culture. Just Frankenstein, Dracula, all that sort of stuff. I feel like if you make a, a Van Helsing theme park or a section of a theme park, then you, you'll run into a water world problem. Mm. Yeah, it's a shame. I just want them to do more of the monsters. I know, you know, on the last few Halloween Horror Nights at Universal, um, they were giving a little bit more love to the classic um, monsters again. And, yeah, that that's an interesting topic for, like, another time about the history of the Halloween Horror Nights and how, like, they transformed from original Universal monsters to, like, you know, newer IPs and how they're trying to bring it back. But, yeah, I'd love, like, you, you brought it up, like, how you brought it up. It's like, I'd love to see them, like, you know, do something to have just you know the monsters in the park again permanently. Yeah, I love that too. That's a staple of theirs. The closest the mummy died, and like you know, occasionally you would see like a guy dressed up like the mummy come out, you know, and stand in front of the ride, and that was just, that's as close as you get year round. Yeah, I mean, this, dressed like Nick Morton. Yeah, no, no, oh, it's, it's 
it's very clear he's not dressed like a mummy. He doesn't look like um, Arnold Vosloo. It's very clear. It's just like they keep one costume out a year from the Halloween horror night. So he's like your classic, you know, mummy with the bandages wrapped around him and like slowly shambling. He's no, no mummy from any of the modern movies. Well, yeah, if they did that, that would kind of be like their equivalent of the Haunted Mansion. It's okay to have like a more horror-themed section of the park. People just know and love those characters, so it's it's not something you should just bring out annually. Well, at this point, I think Universal is just going to continue doing that because they know they'll make, you know, big bucks, you know, getting people to come for that, you know, short period of time and would be considered the off-season. Probably. I know in Florida, have like a monster section but like there's not much done there for it but mm-hmm. you know in LA especially there's really nothing other than I mean the closest you get is when you pass through on the tram port depending on the path you take you pass through the um, recreation since it all burned down in the 08 fire but the you know little Europe um, village and you know they mentioned oh this is where all the classic you know, universal monster movies were shot And this set right here gets reused later. Um, between the, the, the scene between Van Helsing and Dracula when they first meet, everything's just cleared out. But uh, the set gets used twice, which is interesting. Yeah. Instead of just needlessly using sets just because they have money to burn through, they're still economical about it. Yeah, I mean, it works. Yep. And that's him upside down again. What'd you say? Yeah, sometimes you don't get a choice, but it is, you know, it's fun in like a a filmic perspective, seeing how sets get reused and stuff like that. Like the fucking gremlin sacks. So, like, I always, whenever I see these things, it reminds me just like in gremlins, like when they do like the close up of like the gre- the like mogwai and then later gremlin back. So they get wet and they're like, you know, producing more of them. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, we should do gremlins and gremlins too eventually as commentary tracks. No, those are, been, those are great movies. It's been years since I've watched them. Actually, if I recall this right, Jake, didn't I show you Gremlins 2 without giving you a ton of context? Yeah, yeah. That was great. That was fucking wild. <laughs> the weirdest sequel to a movie I've ever seen. Yeah, I mean, the first one like had campy you know, comedy elements for sure, but like, they went off the fucking bed with that one, and it's fucking fantastic. Well, I had seen the first one a few years before, and then Jacob just showed me this. I didn't know much about it. I just I just knew it took place in a skyscraper, but that was it. I did not know it was it was quite as anarchic as that. I I was so excited. It was like just fun showing that to you because like that is such a crazy movie. Yes. I just love my favorite part of that movie is like when they try and recreate the um you know, her tell Phoebe Cates telling the story about like her father dresses Santa in the first one. Like, that's why I don't like Christmas. And then, like, you know, it all started with the Abraham Lincoln. And like, like, you know, like, why she has like presents in. Like, yeah, 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 never mind. Never mind. Like, they just cut her off. No, it wasn't it like <laughs> a silly holiday, too. Wasn't it like a traumatic thing that happened to her on President's Day? 
It's like someone was dressed like Lincoln or something like that. And it's just like, it's, I like the implication that Billy is just used that something traumatic happened to her on every single holiday. And he's just like, later, later. Yeah, they just kind of push her out of the way. This, you know, you know what this reminds me of, though? This reminds me of Godzilla 1998. Yeah, kind of. But better. I'm just like, like... This, this film would have been so much better if, uh... If they had, what's his name? The, the dad from Transformers as, like, the head of the village. Kevin Dunn is one of the villagers. Kevin Dunn, because he was, like, the general in the 98 Godzilla, so he should have been, like, the the mayor, the village leader, or something like that. Which, by the way, no offense the to first Kevin. person to kill a vampire in 100 years! No offense to Kevin Dunn, but when I, anytime I see clips of him in that movie, I think, like, that is the weirdest casting choice, like, for a Roland Emmerich movie, like you, know, he usually cast like, like people like you look at like Independence Day. He's cast Robert Loja like in that like military band role. It's like Robert Loja, even though he's been dead for like eight years, could probably still kick my ass. <laughs> like, but it's just like, yeah, it's just the dad from Transformers. It seems so weird that he's like the in charge military guy. <laughs> I would love to see him as play the foil in this movie. He's just Van Helsing's just thorn in his fucking backside. Wait, Van Helsing, you can't just go run around like this and shoot your arrows. He would have been like a monk or something, like the the gadget monk. Yes. Well, he would have been a stickler for rules. Like, you have to fill out forms for it. I wonder if our viewers know who Kevin Dunn is. Um, well, we've named a couple roles he was in, so they at least know to look for him in Transformers and Godzilla 1998. He was also in... Um... Fuck, um, Small Soldiers. He was the dad in that. He was, yeah. He's been in a lot of stuff. Along with Phil Hartman, R.I.P. Sorry, I'm bringing up Phil Hartman, guys. Andrew just killed the conversation. You know what? Phil Hartman would have been great in this. Who would he have played? Dracula. Oh my god, I will. Hey, Van Helsing, I'm Dracula. Hey, how are you nice doing? you to stop by. I'm Dracula. <laughs> you remember me from Son of Dracula? So meet Frankenstein. You guys ever see, uh, have either of you ever seen the original, The Brave Little Toaster? Yeah. Where no. he plays, uh, he plays like an air conditioner and is just doing a Jack Nicholson impression the whole time? It's great. And then he kills himself in the movie. It's really <laughs> it funny and dark. I'm not even joking. That's what happened. Yeah, he just gets so angry. He sh literally shorts out. I mean, in the end, they show he's alive, but like, would they they fix him? They bring him back, but he but, also has like another character that's like a, a Peter Lore impression. Yeah. Huh. Peter Lore. He never uses his normal voice. It's always a, a celebrity impression for all his characters in that. What's well, funny? Um. In um, on the the DVD version of like the original '60s Grinch that I have, um, they have like a special from the '90s that he was the host of um, that was like on TNT and like you know it, he like is the host of it. He's explaining like the animation process and then like how um, the Grinch was created in general. And they talk about Boris Karloff's voice and that. And he's like, 
you know, he's like, you need the right voice. He's like, and they play the scene with the Grinch, you know, the actual scene. And um, then he's like, well, what would it sound like if Jack Nicholson did it? And he, like, is redoing scenes of the Grinch with his, like, Nicholson impression of, like, Sinatra, like, a couple other people. <laughs> it's just great. Like, hearing Phil Hartman reading Grinch lines doing Sinatra. It's perfect. <laughs> Yeah, no, I think it's about time to move if you live in this village. Yes. <laughs> you literally live in the shadow of like Dracula's castle. Just leave. Now, right here's another example. Or at least don't come outside ever. Yeah, right here's another My lease was up in three weeks. More people on wires and cameras on wires and coordinating all that. This is like second unit stuff, too, I think. So you don't think Hugh Jackman was personally there on set every day they were filming that? No. I think it's somewhere I, I read, I don't know if it's true or not, where one, one of the actors who played the brides uh, said at 530 in the morning she was going to be on set and someone was going to read her line. Re you know, help help her with her lines or, or cue her lines, and it was actually turned out to be Hugh Jackman. He showed up at like five thirty in the morning to help her. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, Hugh Jackman's a nice guy. I've heard I've heard nice things about him. Hmm. So please, Mister Jackman, come on our show. Yeah, yeah, you're in we're in quarantine. What else do you got to do? You can talk about Gremlins too with us. Yeah. <laughs> I'd probably just pitch in my Van Helsing sequels. Just make them in my basement. He just immediately hangs off the call. Hugh Jackman. Stoop to the level of being on a podcast with us. The next day, the deadline alert would say he signed up to play Wolverine again. No, uh, oh, oh, God. He, he'd be like, I, oh, man. I got to get my career back in shape. I'm on a podcast with five listeners. What have I become? <laughs> I listened to the podcast and I made up a six of the viewership. Yeah. It's been a while since we've done one of those jokes about random Hollywood celebrities listening to us. Yeah, I don't think it's you, Jackman. No, yeah, we already know it's Christopher Walken and um, Martin <laughs> Short. Yeah, Martin Short and then. Um, Joe Joe Mozzarella. Uh, <laughs> Joe Mozzarella. Mozzilla or what's that? What was it? Yeah, well, I, I think I I said Mo Mozzarella or something. <laughs> He's a Joe Manzilla. Yeah, I did. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that should, that should be like our our mascot. Get a picture <laughs> of that actor and Joe Manzilla. <laughs> Joe Manzilla T-shirts. You should edit the photo that you that photo that you put of us in all the thumbnails, and just add uh, add that kid in there. Uh, yeah, just like take the movies that he was in, and just like cut audio clips out of like him saying random statements that could like agree with us. It's just like Joe Manzilla. What do you think of this? Like, of, what do you think of this scene right now? You just hear him screaming with the Raptors in the background. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, we love it too. 
City's turning. Oh, now here's that reuse set that I was talking about. And it seems different enough that, yeah, I never noticed it. Yeah. Yeah, so here, Dracula, crucifixes don't work on Dracula. So Stephen Summers is just kind of playing with the rules here. Well, I like that, you know, it works on other vampires. Like, it works on all the brides, the shit. But, like, he's so powerful. It's, like, just, like, nothing can, like, stop him. And that's, like, terrifying. Yeah, well, to it, like, in the, in the 30s Dracula, the Bela Gossi Dracula movie, you know, they fucking put the stake through his heart while he's sleeping. It's a very anticlimactic ending. And it's like, you know, if, like, Dracula is so powerful, that would be a, you know, would he have that um, weakness? Would he have these weaknesses? So it, it is an interesting take on him and the vampire mythology. Yeah, well, I mean, Stephen Summers said that, you know, he, he's like the king of all vampires. Why would why would he be affected by by those things? So that That's what it kind of gave him the idea for, in terms of what the mythology of everything, how he's like this ultimate vampire. Cause I like it because it lets you be a little bit more creative with how you uh, how you battle them. Yeah, it's a cool twist to it. It ups the stakes and everything. It, it turns our turns what we know of of this character on its head. So it yeah, it's, so it serves as like a cool new twist for it. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting because yeah, it also serves to differentiate him from the rest of the vampires because it's like yeah, like why do the brides have to listen to him? Like, when it's very clear he doesn't love them and, like, they're kind of aware of that. Like, why do they have to keep serving him? It's like, oh, because they're, they're physically weaker than he is and any other vampire could not stand up to him because they're physically weaker than him. Now, how does he become stronger? No, no, it, do it doesn't need to be explained. It just works on its own. This is a gr great part. I know you... You can't hear the music right now if you're listening to this commentary, but just wanted to remark about Alan Silvestri's really great score. It's very, very adventurous, very romantic. Yeah, right here is where it's it's a lot of fun. I was just waiting for her to like kiss him and say for a walk. See, ah. when I talk about like the mummy being a little bit like more atmospheric or scarier, I I actually I think something like this almost because it's like this has like this is more of an adventure film i'd say than like a horror film but it's easier to get him confused if that makes mm -hmm. sense um, yeah, yeah. this has so many horror elements that play into it and uh obviously you got a bit of an apples and oranges thing here because the settings are different the premises are different but i i thought this blended like adventure and horror well in a way that it kept very true to those horror roots. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I agree with you. I mean, if you look at the original Mummy movies, the um, body count's a lot smaller, and it's a lot less violent. You have people getting shot with no blood, or scarabs completely enveloping them, and, like, you know, coming just out of skeletons, and even, like, what could be considered the most horrifying deaths in those movies, the um, when the mummy assim assimilates them that's always done in shadow or off camera. So it's like this definitely, I will agree with you, even though I like the mummy more than this. Um, this is the scarier one of the two. Uh, I like that little wheel there. It's, it's a good indication that we're at the, uh, the burned down windmill from the prologue. 
So this was actually shot on a ranch in Malibu, California. This scene. <laughs> Wait, how did they get? It's in very the Eastern place? European. Yes. I've never seen it rain in Southern California. How is this possible? Yeah, I don't know. They yeah, had to drain the last of the Los Angeles River in order to do this scene. Oh, oh so, so was Van Helsing responsible for the drought? <laughs> for at least seven to eight years. It was totally worth it. Then it came back and they had to use that water for another production. It was just like no rise of Cobra. <laughs> yeah, they just, you just keep draining it for every day for the Waterworld stunt show um, at Universal. I mean, <laughs> people don't know this, but Universal owns the aqueduct system for LA. <laughs> yeah, could you imagine if it, in Chinatown, like they had, it was all the same exact thing, but it was like Carl Lemley was the villain instead of Jack or John Houston. That'd be cool. That'd be awesome. Forget it, Jake. It's Universal City. <laughs> 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 it's Universal City Walk. Oh yeah, let's bring up David Wenham, the actor here. He also plays Faramir in the Lord of the Rings films. Yeah, I like him. He reminds me um, of Riley from National Treasure, but obviously, since this is a PG thirteen movie, he has a little bit more of an edge. You know, I like the reoccurring joke where he's like, yo. Like when he's like, I, they say it beforehand, he's like, would you like to go to bed with me or something like that? She's like, aren't you a monk? He's like, uh, in training or something like that. Like he keeps making the distinction when he keeps swearing, like, oh, don't worry, I'm not an actual monk yet. So that's yeah. a funny running joke. Yeah, he's the he's the comedic relief. And that's something you see often in the Steven Sommers films. Yeah. And it's great because the well. don't, you know, usually... Um, interact with each other or cancel each other out now i mean there's really no other comedic relief in this one but you know going to, like back to the mummy you know jonathan and benny you know like they serve different functions as comedic reliefs and it you know, works out great jonathan should have been in this that's how they could have had rick in this as well just like it's his great great grandfather oh my god who looks exactly... You know what, fuck it. If they did that, could do that in the Back of the Future movies where everyone in the town looks identical, generations apart, no fucking you know, difference, fuck it. They can do it with this. Yeah, come at me, Roberts and Meckis. Steven Summers is better than you. I like all those bones in a pile there. Yeah. <laughs> what are those, like birds or something? Bird bones? Don't know because it, it makes no sense that there's a ton of human bones down there. So what could it be? Yeah, probably animals or something. Does the Frankenstein need to eat? Yeah, he's got a stomach. Does that mean Frankenstein monster's got a shit? He takes Franken shits. Oh my god! All that Frankenberry. Oh god. This. Reminds me, and I'll put it up on screen now, but my cousin had this, like, Frankenstein toy from the 90s. It, I don't know if you guys remember. It was, like, an orange jumps. It was, like, an orange suit, and, like, you could open up his, like, chest, like, on swing doors. It was great. I fucking loved it, and I want to buy it, but it's, like, $300 now on eBay. Jesus Christ. All right, so here, if you look at his Frankenstein monster's costume, what do you think that is that he's wearing? cloak no what, what do you think it's made out of skin nope what so it's actually the sails of the windmill 
Oh. Oh, okay. Which makes sense because it's like, okay, he's got to wear clothes. I, I like how there's like a logic to it. You know, they, they thought about it. It's, that is appreciated. Yeah. Yeah, it's not just arbitrary for or just for the sake of it. There's actually some thought put behind it. But I like this actor a lot who plays the the monster. Uh, he's like an American actor. They saw him on in like Oklahoma, the the uh, the the musical, and that's I think oh, he won wow. an Emmy for it. So that's how he was cast. And oh, another thing that reminds me. So apparently, Stephen Summers said he he didn't see the X Men movies yet, so he didn't know. But he didn't see Hugh Jackman as Wolverine. He just he just, I think he just heard him through like the musicals and stuff like that, and that's how we, <laughs> that's how we cast him. That's funny. as them trying to get him to play a Wolverine type character again. Yeah. And then Schuler Hensley who plays the monster and Hugh Jackman were in Oklahoma together, so that's ironic too. It's like how on um, the Spider-Man Two DVD they have like a. The Easter egg of um, like Alfred Molina singing like "If I Were a Rich Man" because he was going to do um, stop uh, Fiddler on the Roof. After that, I wish they would have on this DVD then done an Easter egg of Van Helsing and Frankenstein singing "Oklahoma" together. Well, apparently they they sing "Happy Birthday" to Stephen Summers, so maybe that exists somewhere. That footage. Most prominent memory of this film from the other time I saw it, is Frankenstein swinging across a cliff at 100 miles an hour. Well, we'll get to that. I'm pulled in for right now. <laughs> That's why Jacob's here. Him swinging on the, the rope going, Several. <laughs> I think that's a very interesting um, recreation of Frankenstein, considering I'm like the depictions of the monsters. It's you know it's identifiable ha identifiably has elements of the Jack Pierce um, Frankenstein um, design, um, which you know Universal has the copyright on, but it's different enough that it seems somewhat unique. Or yeah. seems I should say that's somewhat it is, and I like how in this one, like you saw earlier, he's fucking falling apart. Like he's not as well put together as like the Karloff one, where it's like one fucking head that you know, like he just had to flatten the top off to put the new brain in. It's like no, this is like several heads, or he was fucking up and had to like restitch them together, or like you know the head he got was in an accident. It's a very cool look. Yeah, yeah, it looks great. Um, I just appreciate how it's also just an actor. It's not like a CGI character. And it's not just, it's not, because that can be a little difficult with, in terms of just the makeup and everything. Because you, sometimes you can see more of just, you can just see it as like a man in a suit. Or maybe the prosthetics kind of rule over the actor. But you can actually see the actor in it too. Like he, he's, he's giving a performance through and you can actually see the, the performance coming through the makeup. So I think it's also a good combination too. It's not something you, you really think about um, because it's just so well done, but that could have easily been like a really distracting piece of piece of makeup or not, not worked as, as much because it's really restrictive. They could have easily made him like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde at the beginning, like a big CGI monster. 
Yeah. But he's interacting with the actors so much and everything, and he's like a key part of the movie. And given the nature of the character himself, I think it was it was the right way to go, making him a practical practical character with an actor playing him. Oh, sure. This is like a very complicated CGI shot here. This, I like this fight scene. It, kind of, it also reminds me of the um, climax um, carriage chase from um, Tim Burton's Sleepy Hollow. A little bit. I was going to say it's more like Raiders of the Lost Ark, but yeah. I mean, it's just like the going through the woods on the fucking carriage, jumping from the horses to um, the carriage and back and forth. Yeah. This is probably my favorite action scene in the movie because there's such a direct task. And I like the back and forth or the autonomy switches between with the monster and everything and getting him. And I think that's kind of the reason why, why it works so well. It's just a ridiculously fun scene. I mean, I mean, look at that for God's sake. <laughs> just well, I, like, I like that there's still like a lot of horror elements in this because it's, you know, I, again, I compare it like the first mummy, which is fun, but it's like, it really does feel like an Indiana Jones adventure. And this is a little bit more unique and that he's running from horror elements and, there's still that atmosphere to it. And I, I appreciate that about this movie. Yeah. I think the cinematographer is the same DP from E.T. Are there low-angle shots of men with keys running? No, I don't I think, think so. I that that wasn't Janice Kaminsky. <laughs> Not what is this Frankenstein? And then he went to go and take a piss on the set. What? <laughs> I heard a story once about Janusz Kaminski when they were location scouting. He just had to take a piss out in the open. <laughs> well, you gotta go. You gotta go. Yeah. Okay, so this is actually Hugh Jackman doing the stunt. And uh, according to Steven Sommers, a lot of the stunt... Stuntmen were like applauding and saying, oh, man, you know, not many actors do this stunt and everything. And Jackman's like, well, wait a minute. Why, why don't why don't actors do a stunt like this? Because it's incredibly dangerous. Yeah, most are a bunch of little pansies, not Hugh Jackman. Please, Mr. Jackman, come on our show. <laughs> yeah, we, we, he doesn't, most actors don't do that because he almost fucking got neutered while filming that. Yes. Well, him and Kate Beckinsale did a lot of their own stunts in this movie. Obviously, there's stunt people doing stuff, but they did, they did a lot more than actors usually do, according to the director. I want this to be remade, but with Herman Munster from The Monsters as Frankenstein. Like, <laughs> same, but just him. Hey, it's like one of these things where like Frankenstein looks he looks good in this for like a a monster made of corpses, but that original Frankenstein design, as simple as it is, is just uh so iconic. It's like one of those great um silhouette designs, you know? Like if you couldn't even see the facial features of like the thirties Boris Karloff Frankenstein, you can recognize it immediately. And that's that's something a lot of redesigns of Frankenstein miss. They try and make him look gorier, but they miss just that basic design genius behind it. Yeah, I think that's a combination of Jack Pierce's design and just working with what you had back then. Yeah, absolutely. 
it really, it, it's just very distinctive and memorable. Um, even if it isn't the most realistic looking corpse monster, it doesn't matter. Um, it, uh, it's a wonderfully remember, wonderfully memorable and well done design. There's a lot of you know? details with um the friend with his makeup though, and um when if you look in Bride of Frankenstein after you know surviving the fire, um in Bride of Frankenstein you can see a couple times when he leans down you can see um, some of his hair has been burnt back at least at the beginning, and you can see the metal yeah. um, clamps you see at the top go further back in like they, they put a lot of detail into it which is very nice still very simple um so guess where this scene was shot griffith park yes wait you really my... yes <laughs> <laughs> there's a hollywood sign <laughs> oh my god it's the griffith observatory <laughs> Fuck it, might as well use it. And we know in the original Wolfman, um, the Griffith Observatory is in universe because that's where he said uh, Larry Talbot said he was working at previously. So, fuck it, make it in universe of this too. Then also the Rocketeer could happen. Yeah, you just see a jogger just run by in the background. <laughs> could you imagine a jogger walking? Someone like chasing after their kid at a barbecue. Yeah. Could you just imagine a jogger running by and just like seeing Kate Beckinsale being hung upside down for like a snare trap, like filming that, and just being like slowly backing away? <laughs> just imagine just this 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 crew just filming in Griffith Park, like you're just running or something, and then you see this man in a monster outfit <laughs> just and through the trees. How horrifying must that be? He just goes to take a piss or something. So here, I guess the scene was very, very cold. It was like below twenty. It was below zero, like negative twenty. God, I feel bad for her. Then. Yeah. yeah, she's like bare. She's barefoot. So I wonder if like they had to suck on ice cubes, because um, that's something I know, like to hide your breath, um, you like suck on ice cubes before you do takes. It's just like they, they fucking they're chopping on buckets of ice while filming this. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure she was. It's actually weird. You can see, um, you can see Frankenstein's a lot breath a lot more than. Um, you know, Van Helsing and Carl's, and I know, like, he's technically alive, but I feel like his lungs wouldn't be producing nearly as much heat as um, two living people. But it is a nice um, detail that you then see she produces no favor while they produce some. Yeah. And, yeah. If that's intentional, that's a, that is a cool detail. Maybe they were kind to her, but like, we're not going to put you out here in 20 degrees in that outfit and that was on a green screen and the rest of them were out there. I love his jester costume. So they actually shot this in a real cemetery. Oh wow. They got permission. Flowers on Graham Graham's tombstone and just like seeing this guy dressed up like a court jester. What are you making? 
this is just Hollywood Forever Cemetery. You see, like, you know, fucking um, Jerry Garcia's grave next. <laughs> <laughs> is that Jim Henson and Mickey Rooney's graves? <laughs> Jesus Christ. None of, the, none of them are probably buried in the same cemetery, but like that, in my version, they're all next to each other. Oh, this this here. Yeah, this scene. This was shot in an actual church, and some of the things here are actually added through in CGI, like the trapeze artists and the people blowing the the fire, because the church just wouldn't allow them to to do all those things. And obvious reasons. Can't like like how difficult doing huge tracking shots like that while all that shit's going on. That's like Russian art level. fucking details to worry about. Yeah. yeah. Plus but there were frescoes in here. They didn't want to melt because of the fire. <laughs> no, let's do Russian art for our next commentary, guys. It'll be great. Oh, yeah, great. What's the scene selection on that movie like? It's just one chapter of a DVD. <laughs> Oh, Richard Roxburgh, for those who haven't seen League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, is actually M and also the, the movie's villain, which is Moriarty. So he's played two faint, iconic literary villains within a span of a year. Jake's uh, had his, his big early 2000s blockbuster uh, thing today. I am. I am. <laughs> the, those two movies were big for me. I uh, I was obsessed with these two movies as a kid. I, I read the, the adult novelizations to both of them when, when these came out. To Van Helsing, I got the junior novelization. I got the adult novelization. The junior novelization was whatever, but I was more into the adult novelization. They, they added a lot more detail, a lot of more interesting insight. Um, and it wasn't Peter David who wrote it. <laughs> well, then why does it exist? I know, right? By the way, I know I should be getting like Zoro vibes from Hugh Jackman in this outfit, but for some reason I'm getting just Sergio. Um, oh fuck, what's the um, that Italian um, character Sergio Dubranic, Bronic or whatever? The guy who um, writes love notes for other people. Fuck, what's his name? I'll put it up on the screen. I have no idea who you're talking about. It's a big literary book. Oh, okay. Big literary book. I saw like a fucking you know Donald Trump tweeting out right now. <laughs> Big literary book, huge. Which, by the way, we also passed by one of my favorite shots when he he spins around and you see like she's alone in the mirror, showing that they're all vampires. I know some people criticize that shot. Um, because, like, you see none of the other props in the background, but it's so great. I still enjoy it. I think she stood up because otherwise he wouldn't have been able to pick her up. He would well, just stood right over her. Well, yeah, think about it. Think how well this plan had to have gone. That could have been really embarrassing and awkward if he fucked it up. They're just back in the Vatican being like, well, fucked up. He's dead and Dracula's going to take over the world now. Maybe we should have sent more than one guy. Yeah, what if Carl didn't push that guy in time? 
What if? <laughs> what, 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 swings by. She's being killed. He's like, ooh. Rough. He just stops. He just swinging back, like, comes. <laughs> he just has to cable back to the Vatican. Yeah. Uh, fucked up. The world's going to end now, guys. Um, yeah, I'm going to peace out to the Pacific just to enjoy the rest of time before the world ends. Sorry, guys. My bad. So the, this is all like the, what people assume the Illuminati's parties are like, right? <laughs> no, this is I like, always think of the Illuminati as the Illuminati from Angels and Demons. So I was going to say this is the first uh, the first meeting of the Eyes Wide Shut sex cult. <laughs> it was definitely like this. Def- I know when Stanley Kubrick was writing Eyes Wide Shut. Oh, wait a minute, this came out after Eyes Wide Shut. Came out after he died. Yes, I'm trying to. <laughs> yes, there's a simple correlation between Stanley Kubrick's final film and Van Helsing that came out five years later. I like. By the way, I like the, fi- the the MacGuffin finally gets a use. It's great. Set up and payoff. The Green Goblin bomb was involved. Yes. <laughs> After this was over, Carl dropped out of the ministry and went to America to start Oscorp. His name is Carl Osborne. <laughs> so this was like a a very small studio, but a large set. So everything was just pretty much going on to going to like the end of the walls. That's how much room they had to work with. And coming up, I'll show you something kind of funny too. But you got to look really closely. I'm watching closely. Okay, see, so see the boat, the boat that they're on? Yeah. So, and the next couple of shots, watch it closely. This shot. Okay, it's about, they're about to bump into the blue screen. Oh. <laughs> that's, <awesome. laughs> that's, the, that's how much room they had to work. Yeah, right there. They're about to bump into the blue screen. They, as soon as they got, it's like, in, um, I'm imagining like the Truman show. Like they just plow through the <laughs> Steven Summers comes on as the voice of God and just like tries to convince him to keep filming. There's gonna be another funny piece of trivia coming up later, I'll bring up. I never noticed it till it was pointed out in the commentary. I would like to listen to the commentary for this. I, after listening to the commentary again for the fir- first mummy, it's like Stephen Summers is great. He just seems like such an affable guy, like just like a real talking person. It's great. Yeah, he seems like just like a big kid. Who else? Who was on the commentary for this? Yes, yeah, Stephen, if you're listening to this, feel free to drop by and tell me everything what you're going to do with the Van Helsing sequels, so you can come into my basement with Hugh Jackman and make the sequels. <laughs> I'll write the script. You direct them. Hugh Jackman will get, you know, we'll work it out. Funny thing is Jake probably wouldn't let him in because we have a, you know, a social distancing thing now. What if they just showed up at your front door and you were like, no, no, please, six feet. <laughs> six <laughs> feet outdoors. <laughs> yeah, shoot it outdoors in my backyard by the pool. <laughs> They're just sitting on your lawn. 
I'm just imagining like a king of comedy thing with like Jake as like Robert De Niro holding like the both up by gunpoint to me. <laughs> so these are a couple of nice Warner shots coming up. It doesn't feel like they're 20, 20 degrees below zero. No. This is like one of those things where Stephen Summers explained that, you know, you have like three great actors who can, you know, hit their marks and know all their lines. and You got a great crew. You can just let the camera roll and you don't have to do a lot. You don't have to do close up or anything. You just have it play out in a one Right. I like this is like a good kind of one because it's. It's not one that draws attention to itself. It's, in theory, a few different shots framed together, just done without a cut. Yeah. Oh, I thought you were saying warmer scene. No, no. One, one or take. <laughs> Stephen Summers allowed them to increase the thermostat up five degrees for the scene. I mean, it does look warmer than all the previous scenes. Like, you know, it's not as bleak and desaturated, so it still works. My God. Yeah, so this whole thing right here, this whole wrinkle in the in the plot where a werewolf has to kill Dracula is just so fucking crazy. Because I, I accidentally predicted this as a, as a kid before I saw the movie. I was like, well, wouldn't it be cool if if a werewolf fought a fought Dracula, fought a vampire? And that's exactly what fucking happens in this movie. Yeah. You see that happen um, in Amazon Meet Frankenstein and. Um... No, not House of Dracula. So you do see it at least one time, and there was supposed to be a um, Wolfman meets Dracula movie that maybe by this point um, Stephen Summers had heard about that. He obviously had probably seen Amazon meet Frankenstein, where you know having the two most human of the monsters fight constantly must have been in his head. So maybe that was an homage to those movies. Hmm. Because even though um, the original Universal monsters. You know, um, the Wolfman is you know very creature like. You know, he's much more um, as the sequels went on, man like than Frankenstein, who's almost like a force of nature, really, like like you know, like childlike, but like a force of nature. Like you feel like when the two, when Dracula and Wolfman are fighting, it's more like on the same level almost. Yeah, I mean that would be cool on a physical level. Plus, at least you have the whole Lawrence Talbot thing. So that there could have been something kind of interesting there. But I, I like the idea of Frankenstein meets the Wolfman because you have two very tra- tragic and sad characters in the I same mean, both work on both levels. Yeah. Which, by the way, I will have to lend you guys. And they did release um, a few years ago, and I've just picked up a copy of the original script of Dracula versus Wolfman, and I hear it's crazy. Oh, you have it? Uh, I'm, I've just ordered it, so. Oh, cool! I'd like nice. to read. Maybe we'll do a dramatic reading on the channel. <laughs> you need to do a do a, a stage reading. <laughs> yeah, when I get Stephen Summers and Hugh Jackman here, we'll do that. You just hear Hugh Jackman cry as he's reading his lines. It's <laughs> <laughs> my family. Please let them go. Stop ruining the take. I'll have to cut another one of your figures off. Oh, Jake, please. I went dark for that joke. Now notice here their breath. That's digital breath. 
Should have sieged out the breath from the other scene and put it in here. <laughs> yeah. It was a good thing they did that, because obviously this is probably a set. Yeah. I feel like I'm watching like a Kool-Aid or um, one of those Capri Sun commercials that they're going. <laughs> Wait, you mean where the characters look like the Silver Surfer after they drink the Kool-Aid? Yeah, when they're flying. so great. Speaking of which, have you seen one of those? Someone made a short film where, like, this they like morph into like an unholy monster and become like a like a HR geeker like monster. It's great. I think I did I, see that actually. Yeah. Uh, wait. Really? They did a Kool Aid. Made a short film where it, the beginning is just like a pre sun commercial, and then they form back into humans, but they like get fucked up and all morph together, and they're like a monster. Oh, I think you show me that. Yeah. I put it in the description. We're going to put in a, a plug for a video that has significantly more views than us. The, the creator of that's going to be like, wow, why are there four more views on this now? <laughs> <laughs> we're, gl we're glad for the people who do watch us, but please tell your friends to watch as well. Watts, are you sure it's four more people? It's not you just going to revisit the page? Because <laughs> that does happen. That, that counts the views. Okay, so there will be five. <laughs> We're getting into a all work and no play, make Andrew click on the page over and over again kind of thing here. <laughs> oh god, someone needs to remake The Shining, but it's just Jack Nicholson in quarantine from COVID. Oh yeah, actually, you could do that. You can make it work. That if like Nicholson go into, go into any house and you'll see it being remade in reality. Yeah. <laughs> actually did that like just like told his like grandson to like get a camera to film and bring to like, like some of those scenes again son grab the camera <laughs> we're gonna post something on the youtube <laughs> it's like having spacey every year has to convince like one of his nephews or nieces to film him making a creepy statement and upload it to youtube for him That'll be the next commentary track, those videos. Well, Jack, Jack Nicholson's actually going to do a, a YouTube review of Van Helsing. That's what he meant. Jack Nicholson's going <laughs> to? Yeah. He's going to release it the day before us, so no one listens to this. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it, Jack, you took our views. <laughs> <laughs> we just become YouTube rivals with Jack Nicholson. He just keeps doing everything we Next week, I'm going to look at, you know, Scooby-Doo and the Alien Invaders. God damn it, Jack! <laughs> <laughs> Turns out I'm a huge Scooby-Doo fan. Tim Curry is going to be his guest star. Tim, how the hell are you? <laughs> Good to see you. But we'll get, get, we'll get the best guest star, J.C. Kasem. <laughs> Jack Nicholson actually confuses Bill Hader for Casey Kasem. Yeah. Oh, actually, I want to bring up something interesting where they actually did do a comic book spinoff of Van Helsing where uh, I think it involves uh, the island of Dr. Moreau, or at least Dr. Moreau, where it takes place after the... It takes place in between these, like the movie here after he defeats Mr. Hyde and 
before he goes back to the Vatican. He goes like on a detour where he gets he's on the run and he goes in the sewers and he finds Doctor Moreau and his band of freaks or something like that. I haven't read the comic, but uh, that, that would be interesting. And it's very weird that they tried to make it like a midquel. Like they're not just like ah fuck it, do it afterwards or do another prequel that's in between scenes. Yeah, that's very much like a spinoff sort of thing. Oh, so this was all filmed on a, in a parking lot in Downey. flamethrower <laughs> <laughs> going. You just see like the Ralph's cart return in the background. <laughs> the cart cart return. Yeah, you said it's like in some parking lot in Downey, so I'm imagining it's a Ralph's parking lot. So like, oh yeah, some, I, I imagine. The back. Yeah, they, they try to put the cart back, and it just the the back wheels lock. <laughs> they they don't have a dolly for the day, so they just have these like grocery carts with Stephen Summers holding the camera and his lap being pushed in. <laughs> oh now going back now you saw the frankenstein monster in that big block of ice right remember that yeah so that that's a nod to uh frankenstein monster in the arctic like in the novel yeah and oh, probably- I, thought, I thought this was gonna turn into a lon cheney thing Oh God. house of frankenstein that's probably- now it's a lon cheney thing here we go yeah. Well, in House of Frankenstein, they find him. They're, him and the Wolfman are frozen on ice after um, Frankenstein meets the Wolfman ended, so it could be a nod to that as well. Could be. I mean, Stephen Summers did say he, you know, he read and watched all that he could just to brush up on the lore. Well, doesn't Frankenstein say at the end of this, like, he's going to uh, the Arctic when he sails off at the end? No, he he doesn't say. You, you just see him going off in the uh, in the makeshift raft. Imagine that because I thought the thing. So I wonder where they are exactly. Are is this a place on Earth or is this? Are they in hell or? What? I think it's the same answer as where they were in Super Mario Brothers the movie. They're in a parallel dimension. Okay. Yeah, I know Hatton is on the other side of the world. That just means I want to see Hugh Jackman like cornerly cheesed against or cornerly like superimposed against a green screen, falling into oblivion like Bob Hoskins was in that movie. <laughs> yeah. Oh, here, perfect. Just like that. <laughs> Someone. Andrew, you just got to Photoshop Bob Hoskins' face onto that last shot. Uh-huh. Yeah. I'm getting like like um like when they're trying to go in to get this antidote. I'm like thinking uh, or not antidote, um, poison or whatever it is. It's the I'm, antidote. I'm just reminded of uh, oh yeah, it is antidote. Uh, I'm just reminded of um I am oh, no um I robot when they have to like reach in the, the like nanobots and it's like dissolving the robot's hand. I always just think of that movie when I see this scene. It's great. That now, he's made in the 70s starring Marty Feldman in this role. Like, just from Young Frank, I just doing the same performance. <laughs> trying to think of doing a Marty Feldman impression. Yeah. 
love how he's just becoming wolf-like and can jump around. Like, thank God he got bit. Yeah. Oh, there's your son, Jacob. <laughs> now he's fallen into oblivion. <laughs> he just pops out in the tunnel with the Scapellis. <laughs> oh, God. So this line right here, never stick your hand in a viscous material. That's one of the few lines in this movie that that are pretty self-aware of movie tropes. And you you see that in other Stephen Sommers films. And you saw that in the other two Mummy films, too. Just some kind of funny. Oh, I like how in like Mummy Returns, she's like, oh, what could, the trouble could come from opening a box? He's like, didn't you say that about opening a book? Like, You're right. It's just very self-aware, and it's great. Yes, Jonathan says, oh, the old end-of-the-world ploy. Oh, he'll wipe out the world. Well, it's great because it's very realistic. I feel like people in this, like, not in this scenario, but, like, in his shoes, like, in early Hollywood would have seen movies and read stories about monsters taking over the world that it would be like, oh, this, you know, yeah, we've heard this before. It's like, so, it's, it's have to take place, like, like how in The Walking Dead, like, takes place in a world where zombies don't exist. It's like these movies have to take place in a world where none of these tropes have ever happened. <laughs> she's, she's turning into the Tasmanian devil. <laughs> I think Kate Beckinsale was actually the last person to be cast in this movie. Because, she did because, this right after uh, Underworld. Yeah, well, that that was the problem. Stephen Summers wanted her for the role, but he, he just assumed that because she had done something so similar before, she wouldn't want to do this. So they didn't ask her, but then the agent got a hold of them and uh, asked asked to get the script, and she, then, uh, then she wanted to do it. See, I just thought he had um, seen um, Pearl Harbor want her in this. Because of that. Oh, God. Let's do that as our commentary for December 7th. Next Pearl time. Harbor? You're on your own, pal. We'll do it in shifts. Yeah. <laughs> it will be the 80th anniversary of Pearl Harbor, so we should watch it out of tribute. I don't think I want to watch the movie Pearl Harbor for the and 80th then, anniversary of a national tragedy. And then... A few months later, it'll be the Battle of Midway's 80th anniversary, so we'll watch Midway, you know, that um, Roland Emmerich movie that just came out, that ever. Oh, that one. I'm sure we'll have a lot to say on it. Actually, I haven't seen it, so I don't know. I just keep seeing YouTube clips suggested for me for that movie, so that's why I keep thinking about it. It's like YouTube wants me to watch it. <laughs> it's on it's on HBO now. I gotta check it out. It is. I probably won't watch it, but tell me how it is. I'll be too busy watching this. Okay. You know, the only design we haven't really talked about is um I'm just realizing we never really talked about the design of Dracula in this version. I mean, you know, he looks good. Good timing there. Yeah. Is looks I mean like Monster is great, but I think like even his human form. Like for a while, I had like the first couple times I watched, I'm like, oh, I don't like this. You know, he doesn't look like the traditional Dracula. It's like, oh no, I mean, he's you know, um, you know, in Transylvania, and it's like you know, they're trying trying to give him like a 
gypsy look. So it's like, yeah, it kind of works. I think they even say, like, you know, they're gypsies at one point early on in the movie. They might be saying about Kate Beckinsale's family, but still. I think his human form is actually a interesting um, depiction and departure, departure from how we usually see Dracula, but potentially accurate for the region at the time. Yeah, it's a good, it's a good design. Also, um, you should when you see Frankenstein being electrocuted like that, someone needs to play the audio clip of unlimited power. Oh, here's Jacob's favorite scene. Uh, this is it. This is what I remember from this movie. <laughs> or the tar, or the um, George. <laughs> <Or> this. <laughs> There's more too. <laughs> There's more. He's got to get down there. How's he gonna get down there? You ask. When I think of Frankenstein, I think of swinging from a thousand foot tower across a bridge. And you know, you got to get rid of Igor somehow. On accident, I guess. <laughs> Through hijinks of Frankenstein's monster. I was about to like make a reference to like Christmas Vacation, but that this almost borderline scene exactly happens in Vegas Vacation with Chevy Chase swinging across the fucking Hoover Dam with a power line. So fuck it, ripped off Vegas Vacation, I guess. That's a cool effect, Vampire Vision. Vamp Vision, you mean? Sure, sure. I don't know what. Okay. Now, coming up, I want to show you something very funny. It's like a minute away, but... Um... I guess that ends Carl's arc. Yeah, he gets fucked and by a pretty lady, and then he, you know, saves the monster. Yeah. Well, he's torn between his duty to the Order and actually saving this monster who he just sees as, like, a, as a monster. But then he, he, and he's here to life is precious. Yes. It's like at the end of Jurassic World 2, where they deserve to, they're like me, they deserve to live. All right, here's a shot coming up. Watch closely right here. Right here. Stuntman was knocked out cold right there. Oh, <laughs> oh God. Missed the mat. <laughs> have you ever watched, that reminds me, have you ever watched, like, the shot from Back to the Future 2 when, like, one of um, Griff's henchmen gets, like, put in a coma because they fucked up the stunt the same way? Ruins that for you. You gotta love stuntmen. Like, they do a great job. They put their lives on the line for our entertainment. Yes. This is something I like too. I like how it switches back between the monsters and the and the humans, so you still get that human drama in there with with the actual actors. It's not just like a CGI fest, even though you know there's a lot of it. I still like how it, they try to anchor it. Oh wait, it hasn't happened yet. I'm jumping ahead of myself. <laughs> Look, it's Wolf Cop. Other famous Wolfman movie. Oh, kind of. Does he have like a crucifix on his chest? There, it's like gray. You see it? Uh, 
I can't see the cat cover again. I think it's cool about the the werewolf design. It also takes into consideration the color hair the 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 character has, and whatever the the colored hair is actually the the color of the werewolf's fur. That's very clever. Yeah. So I guess so. Yeah, Velkins was brown. Van Helsing's black. So I guess the the first Wolfman was must have been like an old man. Um, actually, I think that's true because I remember in the adult novelization, there's like a scene where Anna goes over to the to the guy after he transformed back into the human, and he was like an old man. It was originally. This is definitely like, like you know, I watched this and I'm like. This is cool. This is fun and everything. Where you've got monster werewolf versus monster uh, Dracula. There's like a world where you downplay this a little bit and make it like make it like a little more clever where they're using their mutual weaknesses and advantages against each other. How they each have weaknesses as monsters, but then strengths as monsters as well. And they the the autonomy of the fight scene would be a back and forth between each of those. Here it's just like they both turn into like big monsters and then just sort of like wrestle each other. So you're saying Freddy versus Jason did it much better. I've never seen Freddy versus Jason. We, you know, what I think uh, I almost compare it to like Iron Man fighting Thor in the original Avengers movie. That scene where it's like mm. sort of like the the mutual advantages and weaknesses of each character come out where. Thor tries to shoot him with the hammer lightning, but then the suit absorbs it and then is able to blast it back through the chest piece. And then Iron Man tries to headbutt him, but it doesn't work. And Thor headbutts him back because he's technically stronger than the iron. And the whole point is it's using the different aspects of the character's um, personal strengths and weaknesses in order to facilitate the fight and the autonomy shifts in it. And it's cool here, but it is just like, oh, you know, they turn into big monsters. They turn into big monsters and just sort of like, you know, tackle each other. That's actually a very good observation. Um, that probably would have improved the fight because, because I, I guess Dracula would, you know, if a werewolf can kill him, I, I feel like he would have like silver or something nearby where he would use as a weapon to try to, to try to kill him. Yeah, or just, I mean, like this is all like cheesy stuff. I'm gonna suggest, but like tries to or like he grabs him, like werewolf grabs him, but then he turns into a bat and escapes that way. And then does something else like that with his power to strike back at him, but the werewolf dodges it with his power and, and stuff like that, you know? Yeah. That, I, here it's like, it's cool and like, a, it's impressive visually and everything, but it's definitely more of a straightforward battle. Yeah. No, I, I think that probably would have improved the battle. You could have still had all this stuff, but I think that would have added to it. That's, that's, you know, cause I, I do love a good, you know, blockbuster and everything. And I, I think that's the appeal of this movie, but, uh, you ultimately, you approach it like that, you know. It's mm -hmm. a, uh, a slickly made blockbuster, and that's fine. Um, but I, I do, when I watch it, I, I wish for more stuff like that sometimes. Yeah, that's fair. Well, especially for Steven Summers, I feel like he's a pretty creative guy. He, he does think about these things, so it seems like some, that that is that would be something he would he would try to implement, but I, I guess not. Maybe he was just thinking more of a straightforward just fight, just more of like this the reward of this build-up. Like, yeah, yeah, it's easy to think of these things just in terms of like more escalation of scale versus escalation of uh, the wit. I'm not, I'm not saying that this there wasn't thought put into this. Obviously, there was. We've been talking about it, but it's like more of an escalation of scale where it's like, oh, the werewolf isn't just a guy 
like running around and hairy makeup it's like a big cgi thing and dracula is not just a guy with fangs he's a bat snape foot bat monster with fangs and so it's thought of in terms of the escalation of the fight versus uh mm-hmm. that cool wit behind it at times yeah well and going to the like original monster movies again you kind of see what, what jacob you were saying um when the monsters who use their um, strength, own strengths in the fight. Um, I think the best scenario you see it is in Frankenstein meets the Wolfman in their final climax. The Frankenstein monster is much stronger than the Wolfman, but the Wolfman's edge is his agility and speed. You know, just they could get um, a half drunk um, Lon Chaney Jr. to jumping around the set, but that's how the fight scene goes on that. You know, the, if the Wolfman is cornered by. Frank said he's screwed, but as long as he can keep um, distance between them, he can keep swiping at him before you know Frank said can know what he's going on. And the flip side of that, as you um, said, you know, catching him at Dracula as a bat, that's literally how Adam Costello meets Frankenstein ends with the Wolfman and um, Dracula. The two of them are fighting um, Dracula in human form, Wolfman obviously in Wolfman form, but Dracula is getting his ass kicked and tries turning into a bat, and it ends with um, the Wolfman jumping out the window following Dragon's back, grabbing them, and the two somehow fall to their deaths, even though that wouldn't have killed them. But interesting to see how the classic movies kind of outdid this one a little bit. That's yeah, it's like I say, it's more it's approached more in terms of the uh the scale of things in this. And that's certainly something worth remarking on in and of itself, because that that's impressive. The, the size and the uh, just the scope of this as a filmmaking project. You know, it's a huge blockbuster, and that's not easy to make. But that's that's what I, you know, I watched this, and I'm like, I think this would have been amplified, and it would have given them more character if there was more of that sort of element thrown in. Sure, absolutely. This is still good, though, but ultimately, as much as we've been going at it's still a fine, good scene. And then, yeah, that's right. I'm sorry, and I was going to say perfect timing here, talking about, um, you know, Stephen Summers making up for bringing um, Evie back with no consequence. You know, there's actual consequence here with Kate Beckinsale's death. And, you know, they don't try and, you know, roll back on that. Yeah, when I first saw this, I, I honestly thought they were going to bring her back to life. And then I was like, oh, I guess she's actually dead. Yeah. But I like this shot right here. I think Stephen Summers even said, oh, that right there, that's digital pants on him. It was, he was originally going to be naked there. Um, but apparently during the test screenings, people were distracted by it, so they added it in. Um, but that shot there, Stephen Summers said, was directly inspired by, like, the cover of, like, a romance novel. He wanted to, like, do something like that, which I think is kind of interesting. That's just cool observation. She kind of shows where his head's at with these things. He likes these these big, broad ideas. Well, it's very like romantic and not necessarily in the sensual sense. Yeah. In the stylistic sense. Yeah. It's more you know, like the Mike, Michael, uh, the Michael Curtis, Curtis, yeah, sort of thing. Okay, now this, this was actually shot in Southern California. It's the Vasquez Rocks. They put a yeah. lot of hay around. <laughs> well, that that's real ocean behind them. Uh, the sky is different. That's been changed, but the everything with the ocean, that's that's all real. You're just like off the Pacific Coast Highway. <laughs> <laughs> just pull over here and film it. 
<laughs> holding up traffic. <laughs> but oh, I just like the little like green electricity in the back of his head. We didn't really talk about that, but another nice little detail. Well, this is just a cool reference to where he's going to go, like like the novel where he goes to the Arctic. Or into the next movie when we do Van Helsing 2 and you get them captured. Well, that's part of my pitch. I would bring the Frankenstein monster back. He gets picked up by, like, whalers and has to come back. <laughs> no, I would actually, that's where I would do Bride of Frankenstein, where he'd, he'd want a wife. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, and... <laughs> My idea would be either maybe you, that's how you bring back Anna, even though she gets burned here. Maybe you could contrive a way, and that's how you bring Kate Beckinsale back, and Anna is actually the Bride of Frankenstein. And it's like, okay, the idea of Anna being brought back to life, there's consequences to that, and she's like a monster herself. Or you could just go with like a different sort of thing and just make it like a hodgepodge like the like the book. But Or do you like actually movies, and if she's Kate Beckinsale's just back with no explanation why it's the same actress. Yes. That would be like the one that would be um that would be uh like the, the one like you know meta reference of wait come, am I the only one who doesn't realize she looks the same like you know the, 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 the Carl's the only <laughs> that's, our, that's our Laura Palmer shot and it reminds me of that uh remember in episode 8 of Twin Peaks the return when they got the uh, the orb with Laura Palmer's face in it yeah, <laughs> so that shot reminds me of. Oh wow! <laughs> I guess David Lynch was inspired by Van Helsing. Van Helsing is an excellent film. Never in a trillion years have I seen something as amazing as Van Helsing. Incredible! <laughs> what a film! Just dandy. Here's the ride off in the sunset shot, which is also in the Mummy and the Mummy Returns. Oh, great. oh yeah. Well, technically sun rising, but oh well, yeah, you know what I mean. <laughs> Sun's going up. The and GI Joe rise a cobra also then. <laughs> yeah. So. No, it actually ended with Arnold Vosloo. Oh wait, no. So, well, we hope you enjoyed Stephen Summers Month um, as much as we enjoyed doing it. And next week, or next time, I should say, not next week, um, next time, we're celebrating our one-year anniversary of doing this. Yes, we've been doing this as one year by do- taking it all back to where it began, by doing Scooby-Doo Return to Zombie Island. And that'll be fun, because I'm sure we're going to fucking hate it. Yeah. We're going to really... You're, As, everyone who listens to us, you're in for a real treat. This is your reward for following... We've picked up approximately one-third of a viewer per month and um we won't be negative though we don't know maybe we'll like it i I have a feeling we're not going to but you're right we can try (laughs) maybe it'll be 65 minutes of bliss we don't know Uh, well have a good night everyone all right good night good night